Please uh, join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Acts chapter 15. As we turn to God's word, let's turn to him in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for preserving it that it is here before us today. We ask that your word and spirit would have their way today. Indeed, Father, would the greatness of your word, would you exalt yourself in the hearts and lives of your people today. To your everlasting praise and to our everlasting good, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week was part one of the Jerusalem Council, and this week is part two. Uh, When was the last time you wrote a letter? I mean, really wrote a letter, like by hand wrote a letter. I don't don't even know if my hand can do that um, still. Um, When was the last time you received a letter like that? I mean, some of you are at the age, you remember the good old days, right? When you would actually get a handwritten letter, a long one, you know, that had page numbers. Or, or you know, you, you spent an hour writing a letter to someone. Now, it's sad to say that the art of letter writing uh, looks to be a lost art or at the very least a dying art. But I want to turn from personal correspondence to correspondence found in the Bible Letters found in the Bible. In fact, many entire books in the New Testament are letters. They're the epistles. Think of Paul's letters, epistles to the church or to individuals, to Timothy, to Titus. Now, contained in some books are letters. You look at the Old Testament historical books. When we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah, remember, there were letters that we took a look at. Um, In the prophet Jeremiah, there's a letter. And here in Acts, we have a letter. One in which one commentator over a century ago said this, that it is a masterpiece of tact and delicacy. I mean, commentators don't even write words like that anymore. A masterpiece of tact and delicacy. It's a letter that comes out of a meeting of the church. It's the declaration of the church's decision. Remember that. The Jerusalem Council is here in Acts 15. It's the structural and theological center of the book of Acts. There's almost as many words from chapters 1 through 14 as there are 15 through 28. This meeting, as I said last week, is more like a consultation than a council in the technical kind of church-related sense uh, that comes later. And as I mentioned, there's a bit of scholarly debate over the timing of this event, and it has to do with the number of Paul's trips to Jerusalem. In other words, is Galatians 2 uh, reflected in Acts 11.30, or is it here in Acts 15? Now, what we saw in last week's text was the church coming together and the church looking to the Lord. And that's what I, along with Stan and several other, several dozen other teaching elders and ruling elders did this past Tuesday. We met, we prayed, we discussed, we deliberated, we debated, and we decided, all the while looking to the Lord. Acts is not this just 
history. It's not just this dead, lifeless book. Of course, all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is living and active. Here we are looking back at our history. Yes, this is like you know, the, the family history on the shelf that you pull down every now and then to find out where did we come from? Who, who are our relatives? Who are our ancestors? It's our family history. It, here we see how controversy in the church was, was addressed then. But as we move forward in our mission, and I believe that's what Acts in particular helps us do, it helps us see how controversy in the church should be addressed now. And whether our eyes are looking back at our history or looking ahead at our mission, our eyes always need to be on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why? He's the founder and he's the finisher of our faith. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, it's amazing the courage and the confidence that you have. My friends, Life is hard, ministry is hard, and whenever friends of mine that I reach out to, what they do more than anything is they remind me of who Jesus is, what he has done for his people, what he promises to do, that he is with us. And when my eyes are on Jesus, confidence returns, courage wells up. Oh, my friends, if there's anything that I could encourage you today, Keep your eyes on Jesus as he speaks to us through his word, by his spirit. Last week, we considered verses 1 through 21 under two headings, the disagreement and the debate. Today, we're going to explore verses 22 through 35 as we spoke, focus on the decision and the declaration. Uh, Today's text is all about a letter. And when it comes to a letter, there are two aspects that need to be considered. Writing the letter and reading the letter. So we're gonna take a look at both, writing the letter and reading the letter. First, writing the letter. I'm gonna just go ahead and read verses 22 through 29. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well." 
farewell. Now, if you were listening close, if you were reading along, you may have heard something repeated three times. And as you know, when something is repeated, it, it, it makes sense to stop and ask yourself about it, to pay attention. And that expression that's repeated three times, it seemed good. It seemed good. It's one time outside the letter and twice within the letter. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I, and I'm probably you, have said, uh, well, it seemed good at the time as your, as your car is like wrapped around a tree or in a ditch. Um, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, you know, that's really interesting language in scripture, isn't it? It seemed good. Now, wait a minute. Isn't scripture authoritative and clear and precise no questions? It seemed good? It, it seemed good? Hmm. You know, I'm reminded of uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 31.3, the chapter entitled Of Synods and Councils. It, it says this, All synods or councils since the apostles' times, whether general or particular, may err, and many have erred. Therefore, they are not to be made the rule of faith or practice but to be used as a help in both. In other words, the confession is subservient to the word. It's underneath the word. And yet, if you listen carefully, this is a counsel from the time of the apostles. It doesn't err. It's in the word of God. So when it says it seemed good, it really is good. But it's interesting how Luke uses that expression. Now, it didn't just seem good. It was absolutely good then and now for us, as I believe we will see. So why was it written? Why was the letter written? Well, to communicate the decision, to inform those in Antioch and elsewhere as to the solution to a problem, the settlement of a controversy, to prepare, to preserve, to help preserve the purity and the peace of the church. And how was it written? You know, it's not just what was said. It's how it is said. You know, people can speak truth, but if they do it in a manner that kind of obscures the truth, oftentimes what they say just is not heard. And so they, they write in such a manner, they have a tone that exhibits great pastoral wisdom. The pastoral wisdom of the apostles and elders, not only in the decision that was reached, but also in the way they communicated it. Listen again how the letter starts. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles. Now that may not seem like that important of a detail, but my friends, it is significant. Brothers are writing brothers. They see each other, as it were, as equals in Christ. Just with that greeting, the recipients are going to be reassured of their secure status in the family of God. Twofold use. We, the brothers, are writing to you, the brothers. Brothers united in Christ. Here we see, right at the beginning of this letter, Christian hearts in love united. Now, what did they say in the letter? What did they say? 
I think we could summarize their letter by saying that they, they said three things. First, they disassociated themselves from the circumcision party. We see that in verse 24. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. <laughs> They're rightly throwing the Judaizers under the bus. They're not one of us. They're not from us. They're not with us. You see, these men had disrupted the church at Antioch with their demand that Gentiles be circumcised. And the council strongly disavowed their teaching. What did they say happened? They troubled you with words. They distressed you. They upset you. They threw you into confusion. You work with this language that's here. It's, it's tearing down what has been built. You know, these men are so narrowly focused on an external act that they couldn't see what God was doing through the proclamation of the gospel. Remember last week, there's joy in Antioch. Excuse me, there's, there's um, criti criticism in, in Antioch. There's criticism in, in Jerusalem. But on the road, there's joy. You see, whether it's the Judaizers in Antioch, the circumcision party, where it's the, 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 the men of the party of the Pharisees in Jerusalem, they can't see. They're narrowly focused on an external act. And they use the language, they unsettle your minds. They're insisting on correct procedure, and yet they have upset the minds. And literally, it's a ravaging of your souls. It's interesting, isn't it, that we say, well, you've got to have thick skin, right? Like, um, hey, just take it, you know, just take the criticism. It's interesting that the apostles and the elders are saying, you know what? The false teaching actually does trouble people. It actually does upset them. It actually does um, unsettle their minds. Again, it ravages their souls. You know, is that the fault of the Gentile Christians, the, the new Christians? Is that their fault that they're somehow troubled? Well, the leaders of the church don't think, just think that. They think the problem really is the false teachers. They're the problem, and they address that. The council disowns their mission and their message. They basically say in the letter by not talking about that burden, they, they, they say, pay no attention to these Judaizers who seek to divide instead of unify the church. And although they lose the argument here, the influence of Judaizers and Pharisees continue, of course, to this day, because there's a little bit of them in all of us. Now, on the one hand, true faith cannot be destroyed, right? I mean, God is going to protect his people, right? But this letter is pretty strong, isn't it? It's an awareness that there are people that through their teaching can do great damage to people and to churches. Be aware. Be aware. So that's what they said, first of all. They disassociated themselves with the circumcision party. We didn't send about. They didn't have our authorization. They were freelancing. They were independent contractors. They don't have our blessing. And in fact, they don't agree with our message. 
And what else did they say? They agreed to choose men and to send men. And we see that in verses 25 through 27. Apparently, there's unanimous agreement with the choice of messengers and the content of the letter. And notice that expression, with one accord. They recognize God's direction for the church. And because you've got both apostles who are still writing the word of God, think Paul, and you've got prophets, you've got kind of the twofold witness, uh, the word of God and kind of the messengers of the word of God there together. So what else did they say? Thirdly, they made a unanimous decision not to burden. Let me pick up with uh, verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Again, the priority, it's good, the Holy Spirit, and it's, it seems good to us, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Mature Christian wisdom and reasoning and dependence upon the Lord resulted in a unanimous corporate decision. The apostles and the elders are confident that the Holy Spirit had guided them. Circumcision was declared as not necessary. They're not mentioning it. And yet the spiritual significance of the law is confirmed. Gentiles need not to become Jews, but they must cease being pagans. When they come to the Lord, they need to cease becoming pagans. And these four things of, of eating with blood and sexual immorality, that was kind of aligned with pagan worship. And so in these instructions, they're saying to the Gentiles, you must refrain from the defiling practices of pagan worship in order to signal your allegiance to Jesus. And here, and I think we see this in, in certainly Galatians, certainly uh, Corinthians and Romans, I mean, all the epistles, what we see is table fellowship is being made not only possible, but desirable. You know how intimate eating a meal together is, right? I mean, it, it, it's an expression of intimacy, sharing food together at the table. And Jews and Gentiles had been separated, but in Christ, they're brought together. And this letter is saying, Without saying it, circumcision is not required. An external act is not required. And yet, Gentiles, be considerate of your Jewish brothers. Be considerate. Love them. And you, Jews, don't insist on this external mark that God had for a time, for a purpose. But as we heard in Deuteronomy, was all about the heart. The heart. And because it's about the heart, it's impossible to circumcise yourselves. Only God can do it. Only God can give Jew and Gentile new hearts. Only God can give those of us that grow up in the church and somebody walking down the street right now that has no idea of who the living and true God is. Only God can give those two types of people new hearts so the letter which displayed a balance between unity in Christ and respect for diverse cultural identities was written and sent the letter is en route how would it be received so our next 
section is this, reading the letter, verses 30 through 35, and let me read that. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. The reading and reception of a letter. Well, on a ship in the Navy, you have what's called the 1MC, the General Announcing System. And Stan may remember this, but there were two great announcements that you loved to hear. The first was liberty for the crew. It was a great announcement. And the next best announcement, I think, was mail call. Mail call. You see, you're out to sea, you're deployed, you're away from land, and the helicopter or the ship comes alongside and brings the mail. It was a great day for some. And as we will hear, it was not so great day for others. Because there were two kinds of letters that were received on board, either encouraging letters or discouraging letters. And often the, the discouraging letters started like this, Dear John. Um, some of you will get that. Um, in other words, the letters were either bringing good news or bad news. And because of that, there were two kinds of responses. There was joy and gladness, or there was sorrow and sadness. So how does Luke describe the reception of the letter? Mail call to the church in Antioch. Was it good news, bad news? Would there be gladness and joy, or sadness and sorrow? Well, we heard from the text, the letter brings good news. Good news that their standing by faith in the grace of God was clearly affirmed. Now let's state the obvious. People enjoy being encouraged. I don't know many people, if any, who enjoy being discouraged. Growing up, one of my father's favorite songs to sing was Home on the Range. Uh, my dad was known for singing. Um, he evidently delivered about 3,000 babies, and every mother that I've ever talked to said he was singing in the delivery room. As he helped God bring a new life to be visible, he would be singing a song. And this is a song that I remember often. Home on the range. It's a cowboy song. And you know, the refrain goes like this. Home, home on the range where the deer and the antelope play. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. But sometimes life is not like that, is it? I am not on that range where the buffalo roam. Uh-uh. I'm on a range where seldom is heard an encouraging word, and the skies really do seem cloudy all day. You know, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that the word encouragement can be abused, right? 
but it can and should be used rightly and well. And I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about dishonesty, trying to build people up by lying. I'm talking about actual encouragement. You see, they see these restrictions not as a burden, but as a joy because it will help them express love toward their Jewish brothers. And when gospel truth and Christian love are promoted, there is great joy that's produced. This letter encouraged them. And notice also, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that they were strengthened and encouraged. So before we go on, I want to ask you to ask this question. Ask yourself, am I generally a person who encourages or am I a person who discourages? Better, don't ask yourself that question. Ask somebody else that question. Again, I'm not talking flattery. I'm talking encouragement in the Lord. Um, you guys all knew my mother-in-law. If I had to describe her in one word, she was an encourager. For this son-in-law, she did nothing but turn my eyes to Jesus over and over and over again. She didn't have to, she, she told me some hard things sometimes, but oh, it was spoken in love and care and even the hard stuff was encouraging. I'm gonna miss her. I'm going to miss her encouragement. And speaking of that, this letter served to create an atmosphere of being able to be strengthened and encouraged. Notice in verse 32, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. They've got the letter, but they've also got many more words of encouragement, of strengthening. It's one of the primary responsibilities of a New Testament prophet to encourage and strengthen God's people through his word. There's power for growth of the church. The power for the growth of the church is, is the word of God applied by the, the heart-changing spirit of God. Um, there's an atmosphere that's created in this scene here. The people want to be encouraged and the prophets want to encourage um, what kind of atmosphere do you create around you? Do you radiate encouragement? Do I radiate encouragement? Or do I radiate discouragement? What about this church? Do we radiate encouragement? Or do we radiate discouragement? Years ago when I was living in Philadelphia, I would attend 10th Presbyterian Church every so often. And uh, on their bulletin, they had this statement. And in fact, I just pulled it off this morning from the bulletin of Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to, whoso, and to whoever will come, 
this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds like a church that welcomes people and encourages people and strengthens people through the word of God applied by the spirit of God. There was controversy in the church, no doubt, in Antioch, in Jerusalem. But by God's grace and God's over all sovereignty and providence, the controversy was settled. The problem was solved. William Larkin in his commentary says this, As living organisms are able to rejuvenate themselves when damaged, so the Spirit of God can and will repair the wreckage of hurt feelings, strained relations, and wrong thinking brought to the body of Christ by the infiltration of false teaching. My friends, false teaching is not inert, it's not benign. It damages, and yet the Spirit of God repairs and restores. What does the church need most? The church needs the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And so we've taken a brief look at the writing of a letter and the reading of a letter. But I want to return as we end to the opening questions about the writing and reading of letters. You see, my friends, this that I'm holding in my hand, This is God's written word to his people. It's his revelation to his people. Years ago, I remember being in a church and there was a sermon series along the lines of God's love letter. At first, I thought that was a little bit strange. God's love letter? But now I get it. Or at least I'm on the road to getting it. And so what kind of reception does this letter, this letter of God's love in Christ, what kind of reception does it have in your life? How's it being received by you today? Have you read it lately? One of the commentary series that I use is called The Bible Speaks Today. Are you reading Are you listening? You see, in John 10, Jesus speaks of himself as being the good shepherd. And the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Jesus calls his people that want to follow him to deny themselves, to take up their crosses and follow him. Listen to this incident in the life of and ministry of Jesus after he said some really hard things to his disciples. John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else can we go, Jesus? You alone have the words 
of eternal life. And as we see the Lord calling Gentiles to faith in Christ, we read this in John 10, 16. The good shepherd says this, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. They will read my letter. They will know it's speaking to me. One of the reasons why I think this book remains closed, sitting on the coffee table or in our shelf, is because for some of us, for me sometimes, it's just a book of doctrine. It's just a book of what we are to believe. To be sure, the scriptures teach what we are to believe about God and what God requires us, absolutely. But this book is God's love letter to his people. When you open up his book and know that it's that kind of communication, that it's that kind of letter, oh my friends, people are gonna have to ask you to stop reading the Bible. There will be one flock, Jesus says, and one shepherd. Indeed, Christian hearts in love united. United in the love that God has for his people in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, forgive us for our failure to believe that you love us. Father, I think for me and I'm sure for others, The reason why it's so hard to believe that is we think we have to earn your love. We have to do something to get it. But Lord, your word, your love letter to your people say, no, it's grace from beginning to end. I love you because I love you. Oh God, may may your word and spirit so capture our hearts that we would see page after page after page the love that you have for us in Christ. And may that give us great confidence and great courage to follow him for we pray in his name. Amen.